Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm honored to be joined today with Stephen Allred, who just wrote a new book called Do Justice, The Case for Biblical Social Justice. Welcome back to this podcast, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me again. It's uh, always an honor to be here. Enjoy listening to your episodes when I get a chance. and. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. Well, I know that you do a podcast as well on justice, and you're an attorney that works for the Church State Council connected to the Pacific Union Conference. You have been a pastor, a Bible teacher for uh, over 14 years, and I want to congratulate you on tackling not one, but several hot button issues in Adventism. <laughs> so uh, what made you want to write this book? Well, the current you know, political social climate in America, I mean, actually what happened was about a year ago after the George Floyd um, murder situation, uh, I had been kind of thinking about tackling this issue for a while. And then that kind of, I think, uh, you know, just, just made me really want to do it. And since we were staying home a little bit more, had guess maybe a little bit more time uh, last year yeah. during, uh, you know, COVID-19 and, and some of the stay at home stuff, uh, it was a, a really kind of a good time to do it. And so I, I guess, but what contributed really was just the, the social and political climate, and I guess the response I saw coming from people of faith to that. And it made me uh, want to share some things that I have seen in both the Bible and in the writings of, uh, you know, other Adventist writers like Ellen White and some of the early Adventists about these issues, because I'm like, you know, I, I, I feel like some folks may not know about some of the things that are, are there. And that was part of what I wanted to share. Well, um, I want to talk with you about your use of Ellen White, because I thought that you really understand her writings and how to apply them to contemporary political and social issues like few uh, Adventists that I know. So I'm just going to say thank you for doing that. Uh, but we'll get to Ellen White in a second. I want to talk about the general structure of the book. Uh, to me, um, it's very uh, readable. I love the discussion questions. It's the sort of thing that folks could do with a book group. Absolutely would work for like a, a, a two-month uh, series for like a Sabbath school discussion group. And the structure as it flows, and I'm kind of curious on why you chose to flow, uh, you know, um, start this way and end the way you did. But to me, I feel like the f <laughs> there's like a third that deals with racial justice, a third that deals with economic justice. And then you jump into talking about the separation of church and state and the role of religion in public life. Um, why did you choose 
to do these topics and why did you structure it that way where you where we start with uh, something that could possibly be very uncomfortable to um, some Adventists and end with a topic that seems thoroughly uh, Adventist? <laughs> Good question. And I can't say that uh, my logic is um, always makes sense here. <laughs> I mean, the, the topic, you know, the, the title of the book is about you know, social justice, biblical social justice. So I, you know, I felt like I needed to kind of actually get into that topic to begin with. Um, and, and the reason I included the part about apocalyptic prophecy and separation of church and state and, and, and the role of religion and public life and all of that was really because, I guess for me, it's been part, th- this journey of, of both, you know, writing this book, but I guess maybe even the couple of years before I wrote this, for me, it's been kind of a um, an evolution in my own understanding of social justice as it relates to the um, traditional understanding of separation of church and state and prophecy as Adventists have understood it. Um, and, and I say that because, you know, I have argued for many years in both stuff that I've written and, uh, you know, preaching or whatever, that, um, you know, separation of church and state is the way to go, you know. Sure. Um, which really in my, you know, in, in the past, I've often argued the church ought to stay out of politics, period. But I've had to kind of reconsider that a little bit over the past several years. And as a result, I've had to ask myself, well, what is the, you know, litmus test for when the church ought to be involved in politics and when should it stay out of politics and how and what does that look like, et cetera, et cetera. And so I felt like I really had to, maybe it was just for my own sake, um, look at both sides of that coin here in this, you know, in this book. And that was kind of what led me to include that part about, you know, separation of church and state at the end is, is because I, I, I want to acknowledge that that is an important, vital concept I still believe in um, 100%. But I, I've also had to kind of, um, uh, I guess, temper it a bit with my understanding of how the church ought to be involved in social issues and uh, recognize that, um, yeah, there is a role for the church to play in advocating for social issues. And, um, you know, what does that look like? And I don't think that, you know, I don't necessarily give all the answers here. I don't think I have all the answers, but I do think that we have some basic principles that we can, we can start with. And, uh, so I wanted to include both of those aspects and, you know, ending up with it the way I did. I, I, I think at the end, you know, where I talk about biblical social justice and the three angels messages. Yeah, definitely aimed at Adventists. I mean, the whole book is, but, um, I wanted to, I've also heard some arguments out there from Seventh-day Adventists, uh, usually on the more conservative end of the spectrum, you know, theologically conservative, that is, uh, who argue that, you know, our mission is to proclaim the three angels messages. We shouldn't be distracted by racial justice issues or anything uh, involving social justice, uh, of course, oftentimes those people though have no problem advocating, you know, against abortion or things like that, which are social issues. Sure. But they're saying it's a distraction. We need to focus on the three angels message. So I wanted to talk about how Ellen White actually includes social issues in her understanding of, of how the three angels message uh, messages ought to be proclaimed. So yeah, that's kind of why I ended up with that. 
Uh, so on this idea, I want to I want to share this definition that you have of social justice on page twelve. At the most basic level, the goal of social justice is simple: to pursue what is just and right for all members of society, especially the powerless and marginalized. And you make that really important point that the Hebrew word that we are familiar with, translated as righteousness means justice as well, to live sort of in a just relationship to God and, and fellow humans. Um, you use an incredible amount of Ellen White, and you you have a deft hand. You find these quotes that I've read when I read Patriarchs and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, the great controversy. You dip into quite a bit of her writing from the Southern work, um, and you use her, I think, in ways that for an Adventist who maybe is burnt out on her or questioning her relevance, um, you use, uh, you find a voice for her that fits contemporary, um, issues. Uh, where did that come from? Why did you use so much Ellen White? Oh boy. I don't know. Um, I mean, I've, I've read a lot of her and, um, you know, I have, you know, just over the course of my life, you know, just, I guess, spent a lot of time reading her, whether it was growing up as a kid, my mom would have us reading, you know, the Conflict of the Ages series. Didn't always enjoy it, but, uh, you know, I think coming back to her as an adult and reading what she wrote, I, I don't know, I, I feel like you know, clearly there's some stuff out there that people have read of her that turns them off, you know, whether, and I don't know if it's because they're reading some of these compilations, uh, like councils on diets and foods that are not really well compiled, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and they take her and they kind of use her as a sword, um, or some sort of a battering ram, you know, and people just feel offended by that. But I guess my thing is if you read her, in the totality of what she says and you read her in context, uh, she has some really, you know, beautiful, power, powerful, Christ-centered stuff to say. And, um, you know, and, and so why did I use her in here? I guess because, again, I think she does have a lot to say that we need to hear. And because I know that there are some friends of mine who, uh, if I give them a Bible verse, they may not listen to it. Hmm. But if they read Ellen White, They'll listen to it. And I, I hate to say that, but that is a reality. And I, I don't, I'm not saying it should be that way. <laughs> but for some folks, uh, they, you know, for them, it's kind of like the Bible, yes, but that applied back then. But then they read it from Ellen White, and they're like, oh, she was saying that just 100 years ago. And okay, maybe it does apply in the American context. You, you get my point? And so yeah. I think for some folks, it does carry a little more punch. And, um, you know, so, so I guess there's that audience that I, I wanted to speak to as well as like you just mentioned, I think to the folks who are kind of burnt out with Ella White or maybe haven't read her before, I wanted them to see that she actually did have relevant and um, very refreshing things to say about social issues of her day that I think can apply to social issues today. I, I completely agree. And you know, you're not just quoting from Ellen White. We've got Ta-Nehisi Coates in here. We've got Tim Keller. We've got a ton of Bible. Your use of Deuteronomy 15 
and um, Matthew five, uh, 25 and 26 was also incorporated in a way that I think really buttress your argument that Adventists have to take racial justice seriously. And you go farther. You talk about reparations. Why? Well, I think the uh, it, it's a very uncomfortable conversation to have, and I'm not sure exactly what reparations or, you know, in the words of Ellen White, she called it restitution, right? Sure. Um, uh, or a, sure or a, debt of, like. a debt of love. A debt of love. There you go. Uh, you know, so the argument I've heard, especially after the George Floyd uh, murder, from a lot of Adventists, in the churches that I've, you know, mixed in, in the last year and a half or so, it's been, well, that stuff all ended over a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, whatever. We don't need to worry about that anymore. Um, that's old history, et cetera, et cetera. And folks who are concerned about racism are just being divisive. We need to focus on the gospel. Uh, this is not our concern. And, and these people are just, you know, whining and doing whatever. And, um, you know, and for me, just to be honest, my, my journey on the issues of race, on the issue of race and, and racism and all of that has been uh, a long one. I mean, I, I remember when I one time was at a uh, school where there was Black History Month and, and uh, there was a black, you know, student club. And I, I scratched my head. I'm like, why, why are they doing this? What's the point? You know, why do you guys need to focus on things that are divisive? So I, I've been where a lot of folks that I, you know, talk to now are at. But I've, I've grown in my perspective on that. I've begun to realize, you know what, racism is a historic fact, but it's also a continuing reality, as my friend Mark Woodson uh, wrote in an article in the Speaking Recorder last year about this issue. I mean, it's, it's something that's still uh, a reality for a lot of folks, and it's not just a you know, personal reality, you know, my anecdote about what happened to me and some of those races to me, it, I, I think there are still structures uh, in place and ones that we've had very recently yeah. that affect people. And, um, and so I, well, remind me of your question again. Sorry. I, I'm well, what, a parent what, with three young children, so I'm operating on a little, not very much. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, let's actually jump to, you know, I really enjoyed how you uh, discussed. You didn't just say that we uh, owe people love. You really explored what love means in action, as um, Cornell West talks about, that it means justice. It means paying attention to structural injustice. And you talk about the 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 actual problems, and you use great quotes from Ellen White, who was actually unstinting in her critique of Northerners, not just Southerners, in their racism, their lack of love, um, in a in a really kind of cosmic sense, not just a, a sort of charity sense. And you talk about redlining. You talk about um, uh, the lack, the intentional um, destruction of. Um, Black-owned businesses and family legacies, and the 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 kind of the majority white-driven acceptance of banking policies that kept African American families from owning homes and passing on those homes to to later yeah. generations, where so much wealth is built in the middle class in America. So, 
uh, you know, I th- I thought that you you approach those issues with uh, an uh, an understanding um, that was um, that was conversant with the kind of conversations that I see out there beyond Adventism, but you couched it in language that Adventists could um, digest, and you then move from that to something that actually, when I was reading, if you don't mind me poking at you a little bit here, we I was like, really? Are we going to talk about Revelation 12 and 13 and 17? <laughs> <laughs> when I got to that point, I felt like I was in a Revelation seminar with Stephen Allred. So <laughs> talk to me about... Uh, why you um, decided to interpret those um, age-old stories and those beasts in that way. Sure. Well, so again, going back to what I said earlier, for me, it's been a little bit of an evolution in my understanding of how the church ought to speak to social issues. And so I guess in my own mind, it kind of had to work out. Well, so what do I believe about separation of church and state? I still believe in it. um, And why? You know, why do I believe in that? Uh, just from a theological standpoint, you know, we could talk about that from a legal standpoint. That's kind of a different, somewhat of a different conversation, although I get to get into that a little bit here. Um, but I wanted to, I guess, speak to that for those who might read the first part of the book and criticize it by saying, well, wait a minute, Steve, I thought you believed in separation of church and state. Sure. And I can say, yeah, I, I do. I do. I, I absolutely believe in it. But here is how I believe in it and how I believe the Bible to it. And if you want to get into Ellen White, how she also, you know, understood it, because let's just talk about the early Adventists, if we could step back for a sec, because they were involved in a lot of social issues of their day. You know, some of the very earliest Adventists were abolitionists. They were, you know, I think it was the first uh, uh, general conference president of the Adventist church was a, his house was a stop on the Underground Railroad or something like that. Um, you've got people who were a part of the temperance movement. Yeah. Ella White would speak about that, which was, of course, the prohibition of alcohol, you know, big social issue of their day. Um, and um, also, you know, when it came to this issue of separation of church and state, they would speak out against religious law. So they were in favor of, of the church being involved in social action using, you know, moral arguments to, um, encourage lawmakers to make good laws, but they were against lawmakers using religion to make religious laws, laws that were, you know, had to do with people's relationship with God or worship to God. And I think there's a distinction there um, that we have to, we have to talk about, you know? And, and so that was what kind of led me to the last, you know, couple or actually was it chapter five and six here, I guess, where I talk about that. I wanted to explore that, you know, first of all, talk about the history of America's uh, First Amendment, the separation of church and state here historically, Roger Williams and some of that, and then kind of the Adventist understanding of that, and then talk about, again, that that difference between the church being involved socially in, in society and yet opposing religious laws. So we kind of talk about public versus private morality. Uh, again, you know, this is just kind of me... Uh, taking a stab at these issues. I'm not saying I've got it all figured out, but I feel like we have to talk about this. And I haven't really heard a lot of voices 
uh, talking about because you kind of have the religious right out there who are very much involved in social issues, but they seem to not believe that separation of church and state is a good idea anymore. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you have the, the black church historically in America has been very involved in social issues. Um, you know, and yet, and then you've got kind of the white Adventist church, which has historically been opposed to, or been, you know, in favor of separation of church and state. We kind of narrowly talk about very few social issues and we, we won't talk about other ones. And I'm like, you know, let's talk about all of this and let's see how it fits within our biblical and, and yes, even Adventist understanding of, of what we ought to be doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, those, the chapters on revelation, I guess, I mean, if you, if you kind of read to the end, uh, where I talk about the three angels messages and biblical social justice, to me, I see, social justice as being integral to God's, you know, last day message. And so the, the historical understanding of, of Revelation 12, 13, and 14 among Adventists, you know, has been that, you know, God's people have this message. There's the, the, uh, the beast, the first beast, the second beast representing, you know, kingdoms and nations and so on and so forth. And God's people are giving this message to a world. And my thing is, man, if you're going to disconnect that message from being involved in helping society through its its turmoil and its struggles in a real world way, then you've you've missed what it's all about. And, and I think Ellen White really does support that concept. Yeah, in fact, I'll share a quote from Sister White here that you have in the book uh, on your page one hundred and seven from. Uh, her book, The Great Controversy, page uh, 201, which I think actually helped me. I just finished uh, David Gushy's book. He's a renowned, um, formerly evangelical Christian, a major ethicist, uh, former president of the American Academy of Religion, who just, uh, well, last year wrote a book called After Evangelicalism, um, in which he talks about his break uh, with the the religion that he grew up with, and um, I, I, as I was reading here, I was struck by Ellen White's use of evangelical. So uh, she writes, um, "To protect liberty of conscience is the duty of the state, and this is the limit of its authority in matters of religion. Every secular government that attempts to regulate or enforce religious observances by civil authority is sacrificing the very principle of which the evangelical Christians so nobly." Struggled, and she's not talking about uh, folks who uh, broke away from fundamentalism in the 1920s and uh, 1940s. She's talking about uh, this kind of gospel Christianity. So I love uh, that you put that in there because it made me think. Wait a second, here. Are you talking? Are you saying that justice is integral to the good news? to the gospel, to what we, what evangelical really means in, in the new Testament, this, uh, this sort of, um, this idea that there is something that we can share with the world that will change the world, that will bring this, this, this kingdom, this kingdom, this community, uh, that Jesus was, was talking about and envisioning, um, that is coming in the future that we can be part of 
you know, little bits of that here on earth now that we can actually change, as many evangelical Christians believe, change our lives, change ourselves by uh, walking with Christ and, and, you know, saying that sinner's prayer. But wait, what happens if that sinner's prayer is actually uh, recognizing the larger sin of humanity, as you point out and echo the original sin of America, our community. Um, so I am asking you, I mean, is this, uh, are you saying that this is gospel work? Absolutely. No, I, I absolutely believe that it is. And that's, um, I mean, Isaiah 58, I think is one of the, yeah, you know, big chapters in scripture where, you know, Isaiah, the quote unquote gospel prophet, right. Mm -hmm. uh, really nails this issue when he talks about people doing religion, they're even speaking to God and about God. So, you know, maybe they're praying the quote unquote sinner's prayer and yet they're not living it out in their lives. And, uh, this is, uh, and he, he specifically talks about how we treat other people as being, a you know, a, a big part of our faith. And I think that, um, uh, yeah, but no, I mean, Isaiah 58 to me is just so, uh, it, it speaks to us today. It, it's not just an ancient chapter that dealt with realities in, you know, um, ancient Israel. But, uh, if you kind of compare it with, I mean, of course, Revelation, the book of Revelation, getting back to, you know, why is Revelation included here? Um, it, it, it borrows from the Old Testament prophets, you know, hundreds of times, right? It takes these, these phrases, you know, they call them allusions, right? A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N-S. And, uh, and it takes these allusions and, and, and um, you know, puts them in this different in-time context. And I, I see that happening with Isaiah 58 and um, in, in Revelation, you know, 14 to some extent. And um, so I definitely believe that the, the church is not here just to, you know, speak to people theoretically, just to get people to repeat some words and say a prayer, um, or even just to preach Revelation seminars. You know, I mean, we are here to do more than that. It's not a distraction from our mission to be involved in social issues. And I think, you know, uh, I do talk in here a little bit about some of what Ellen White has to say about how we need to be careful that we don't um, be, become distracted from presenting, you know, so if you're going to look at kind of the traditional Adventist understanding of the three angels' messages, right, for her that is a big deal. Uh, and she talks about not becoming distracted from presenting that by, let's say, working for the outcasts, as she calls them, uh, to an extent that it overshadows that. But I think that if you read her in context, she is definitely saying that, you know, social justice work is like the right arm of the, of the gospel. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of times we have, as Adventists, understood that to be the health message. Yeah. Um, which she definitely does say that, but she includes the, you know, she talks about the work here of um, Isaiah 58 as being the right arm. Yeah. And so I'm going to say it's all one and the same, you sure. know, the health message. Anyway. Yeah. 
I I totally agree. I I thought you, connecting uh, Isaiah fifty eight to what Ellen White says uh, really broadens our understanding of population health, of economic justice, of really uh, helping the world, um, and not just on a kind of charity individual basis, but also as as something larger. Um, you are, as you mentioned, um, Mark Woodson, president of the Northern California Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, like this book, he says, this is present truth for Adventists everywhere. Ty Gibson gave you a nice blurb. Um, Alan Reinach, longtime uh, head of the Church State Council, uh, writes the foreword to the book. Where can Adventists who are interested in enga- engaging with the ideas, agree or disagree, uh, find your book to read it? Good question. They, get, they can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get it at the Adventist Book Center here in Roseville. And um, I, we're trying to get the other Adventist book stores to pick it up as well. Or you can just go to Do Justice Books with an S at the end, dojusticebooks.com. And uh, you can order it there. It's available in paperback or in electronic format, you know, for Apple or Kindle as well. Great. Well, we'll include um, links to that on the post that we put on Spectrum. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Stephen. Thanks so much for what you do for our larger communities. Um, and uh, thanks for writing this book. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget.